0: Good evening, everybody. It's good to be back with you in person. Uh, It's been a while since I've been at TNL. So for some of you new faces, some of you are old faces, not in like a mean way. Um, And so it's good to be back in the room with some of you. Uh, My name is Joe. I'm the parish pastor of the Sacred Grace East Colfax. Uh, We're in North Aurora area. Aurora is pretty expansive. And so I usually give some kind of disclaimer of where we are. It's very large. It has a large orbit. And sometimes it just kind of sucks you in whether you want to be there or not. Is this Aurora, or is this Eastern Kansas, Western Kansas? We can't know that. Um, but we love Aurora. We've been up there for about five years, and about two and a half years into the Sacred Gracie Colfax. Uh, one thing you will learn about me very quickly is I love running. And the type of running, (laughs) boo, uh, the type of running that I love is certainly not for everyone. It's usually fairly long distances. Uh, It's usually trail running. Um, and, And my favorite, absolute favorite time of the year is the summertime where I get to go to the mountains and just run on trails for as long as I want. Like I look at this picture and I see that trail and I just think, I want to go run that like right now. But as much as I love running, it is very easy for me to compare myself to other people. One of the things that I use almost every day uh, is an app called Strava. Strava is a run keeper app, but you can also do a lot of other things on there. They keep bikes and swimming and all these things. And there's a social feature to it as well. So you can follow your friends, you can follow anybody who uses Strava. And Strava is used by athletes all over the world and by professional athletes as well. So you can go on and you can see uh, exercises or activities that they do uh, throughout the day, which is which is kind of cool. But if you are like me, uh, it's a way that I then compare myself to other people. Often, it's usually to professional athletes. Of man, I should be faster. I should be better. I should be all these things, and I can easily become dissatisfied with whatever current fitness or ability I might have because. I am not one of the best endurance athletes in the world, spoiler, but as I compare myself, I am easily dissatisfied with the things that I currently have. Whether it's the time I give to running, whether it's my current fitness or my current ability, I can easily become discontent. And for me, this isn't necessarily a new revelation, and this isn't specific only to running, where that's, while that's a place I see it a lot, We experience this throughout our lives in a variety of different ways. Maybe you compare yourself to how you look to other people, or you compare yourself to the job that you have, or the money that you make, or the house that you live in. Or I'm sure none of you have ever done this, but maybe you compare your kids to somebody else's kids and the milestones that they have reached or maybe have not reached. And while we certainly have new mechanisms for comparison, like social media, I can pull out my phone and I can just scroll through and see all of these people who seemingly have this amazing life and everything together, this act of comparing ourselves to one another is not a new phenomenon. If we think all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve, they are living there in perfect union and perfect communion with God... I believe that they're still tempted to compare themselves. Grammatically, I bet you didn't think you're going to get a grammar lesson, but grammatically, a simile is a comparison using like or as. And so as the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, he says, you will not die if you eat this fruit, but rather you will become like God. It's as if he has unearthed a discontentment that they had deep inside of them, that they weren't like God and they couldn't be content with the way that they were made, made in God's image. And so the serpent is using this comparison between Adam and Eve to unearth this discontentment. And while there's a lot of things that are happening at the fall, Adam and Eve, I believe, were discontent in the way that God had made them, as if that wasn't enough to just be made in the image of God. And we've wrestled with this problem throughout human history. In AD 100, the, the famous Emperor Marcus Aurelius, he said this, how much time he gains who does not look to see what his neighbor says or does or thinks, but only what he does himself. Think about the times maybe you've like peered over the literal fence to your neighbor's house or you look down the street or you just... Pull out your phone and you see what your friends and your neighbors are doing. Think of how much time you spend comparing yourself. Studies show that we spend about 10% of our day comparing ourselves with other people. Now, if you sleep around seven or eight hours a day, that's around an hour and a half to two hours every day that we spend the emotional and mental energy of comparing ourselves. It can be exhausting. And so our passage today comes from John 21. John 21. This comes immediately after we see the interaction of Jesus and Peter, where Jesus goes to Peter and asks him three times, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, of course I love you. And this is what happens immediately after this. Notice this continued interaction. This is John 21, verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So Peter comes out of this beautiful moment with Jesus, where Jesus has affirmed his love and affection for him, where he has affirmed what he's going to do in ministry, and it still seems like Peter isn't totally getting it. It's as if as Jesus is talking to him, he's looking over his shoulder, and he's noticing the disciple whom Jesus loved. Most commentators believe that that is John, and so he's looking over his shoulder, and he's seeing John, and it's like, okay, that's great about you and me, Jesus, but what about John? What's going to happen to him? Much like Peter, there's been different times in my life where I've worried about Jesus' interactions with me and how those compare with other people. In college, one of my closest friends is a guy by the name of Jordan, uh, we were good friends and we were roommates and even shared a room for a little while. Uh, Jordan was a really intense guy. He had just an amazing voice, an incredible musician. He led worship all over the place, and he just had this incredible passion and desire for God. It wasn't uncommon for me to come home on a a Friday night or Saturday night and walk into our room, and, and Jordan would just be in there, and he would just be like, reading the Bible or reading commentaries or just have had this like three-hour praise and worship session of just himself playing and singing. And I had just come from like eating pizza with my friends. And I was like, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe I need to do something else. And so what I realized was I was trying to compare my relationship with God the way that Jordan interacted with God. I felt like I had to match his intensity or match the things that he did in order to experience God in the same way. What it seemed like Jordan was experiencing with God wasn't what I felt when I experienced God. I didn't feel the same type of intimacy or connection with God. And so when I compared my spirituality and my relationship with God to what it seemed like Jordan had, I was easily discontent with my relationship with God. Over the last week, I I came across this poem by a guy named Max Ehrman, and the title of the poem is, is Things Desired, and it has a lot of great words that I don't use every day like vexation or aridity, but this line in particular stuck out, and this is what he says, "'If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter.'" for always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Bitter is is definitely a way I would describe my relationship with God throughout various points in my life. Bitter because I felt like this closeness and this intimacy that other people had, I wasn't getting that from God. And at the worst times, it, it felt like there was something wrong with me. And the flip side of that is I can often feel vain and superior. When I compare myself to other people, I can often come out where I feel self-righteous or vanity or some sense of superiority because I perceive that I come out better than someone else. But whether it's a bitterness or a vanity or some kind of superiority, comparison quickly leads us to being dissatisfied, I would contend that even the person who seemingly has it all together, their satisfaction is coming through how they compare to other people. It's not a true sense of satisfaction. And so comparison quickly leads us to being dissatisfied. You maybe have heard this quote. It's often attributed to Teddy Roosevelt, but it's comparison is the thief of joy. When we are constantly comparing ourselves, we rob ourselves of joy, of contentment. We rob ourselves of of celebrating the way that God has uniquely made us and God has uniquely loved us. Often when I'm comparing myself, it's, it's often not a picture of a Christ-centered life, or it's not what I would consider of following the way of Jesus. It's some version of success, or wealth, or money, or power that's, that's an American version of success. It's usually not a Christian vision of what does it look like to be generous, to be kind, and to be loving. It's usually, what does it look like to be successful in comparison to my neighbors or in comparison to my friends? Ronald Rollheiser, he is a Catholic writer and theologian, and he expounds on this a little bit. He says, so much of our unhappiness comes from comparing our lives, friendships, our loves, our commitments our duties, our bodies, and our sexuality to some idealized non-Christian vision of things, which falsely assures us that there is a heaven on earth. When that happens, and it does, our tensions begin to drive us mad, in this case to a cancerous restlessness. A cancerous restlessness, what a phrase. Do you ever just feel exhausted and tired of trying to keep up and, and trying to keep up to some standard that feels unattainable and often feels like it's moving a moving target. Our verse for tonight, I, I came across shortly after uh, I lived with Jordan and, and was feeling this sense of discontentment. And it's, it's in this story where I felt like I was Peter and it felt like Jordan was John. I felt like I was looking at Jesus and I was like, Jesus, how, how am I supposed to relate to you? And it's those words of Jesus saying, if he is to remain until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And it was within that where I felt a, a, a new sense of conviction of trying to figure out who I was. And some of the things that I learned about myself along the way that maybe will be helpful for you the first thing is that I, I've had to set intentional boundaries, specifically around social media. It's around the time that I spend on there. Social media, for me, is not a place that often like begets joy and gratitude. It's usually a place where I find myself comparing, or it's a place that evokes some kind of anger or discontentment. And So I have to limit my time on those things, and I, I often uh, limit who I follow as well. Again, I really love running, and so I can follow elite runners from all over the world that go on these amazing runs through the Alps, but I live in Aurora, and I don't know the last time you were there. Maybe we're here right now. It's so big, we could never know. I don't know the last time you were there, but the Alps are way better than Aurora, and it's a place where I can easily become discontent with the things that I have. So I have to limit my social media. I have to limit even who I follow on there. And the second thing that I've learned is I've have to, I have to be able to learn to name what I am and what I'm not. On a surface level, I am a slightly above average runner. And it's taken me a little while, but I'm okay with that. On a deeper level, I've had to learn that I am uniquely made and uniquely loved by God that I may not experience this kind of closeness or intensity or intimacy that others might experience with God, and that is okay. I am uniquely loved by him and uniquely made by him. For me, comparison often doesn't spark joy, but gratitude is one of those things that sparks joy, and so I have to be able to name who I am. And I believe the same for you. You are uniquely made and uniquely loved by God. If you have kids or siblings or even parents, think about the unique love that you have for them. You have a general love in that you love them, but your love is specific to each of those people. And I believe that that's what God's love is for us as well. And the last thing that I've learned is that I've had to invite other people into this. Comparison often doesn't foster community. And as Jesus tells Peter to follow him, this doesn't exclude other people. One of the things we know well about the early church is they are known for their community and the care that they offered to other people. And so my hope for you as a church, my hope for us as a family of churches, is that we become a place that is known for our community We become a place that is known for our ability to claim the unique love that we have that God has made us and created us. You are uniquely made and uniquely loved by God. And that is the most amazing thing about you. And I believe that as we move forward together, this is the way and this is the space that we continue to follow the way of Jesus in whatever neighborhood you might be in, In whatever vast hemisphere of aurora you may live, you are deeply loved. A life of joy and gratitude is so much better than a cancerous restlessness of a life of comparison. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the way that you have created all of us. We are all made in your image, but we are also all uniquely made. You also love us in a way that is unique to us. God, help me believe that. Help me believe that, that you love me and that there's nothing that I can do that can change that. And for those who are here, those who are listening in their homes or wherever they might be, God, I ask that they would feel a sense of your love that they would feel a connection with you. But God, even if they don't, may they know that they are loved, that they are loved by you and they are loved by many others. We pray all these things in your name, amen.